Well, welcome back to Back in My Play. This is episode number 50, and it's really not. It's really episode like 60, but episode number 50. My name is Kevin Larrabee, and I'm very happy to have back on the show Greg Seward to talk about Mega Turrican. Greg, how you doing? Great. I'm, uh, I'm excited to finally be on the show and to talk about a Genesis game. But, well, we did talk about Bare Knuckle 3. I was being maybe, sarcastic. Maybe a couple of... Yeah, I know, but I'm just saying <laughs> we, we got lots of stuff for you as our Sega correspondent for the present and the future. Because, I love it. Because there's, there's, there's so many games that came out on Sega platforms, believe it or not. They did have a few games, yeah. That's true. Even on the Game Gear, um, I've been... I, I continue to slowly consider... Excuse me, um, a, like a recapped Game Gear console mm-hmm. to get the true, fresh Game Gear experience, but I just can't pull the trigger. See, my problem with my problem with doing that and like using, say, using the Nomad or using the the uh, the Turbo Express, the screens were garbage on all those Super consoles. Bad. They were really, really bad. Yep. And like, I have a lot of really fun memories of all of them because back when they were released in like the eighties and nineties, it was space age technology right like world series baseball kid. all day all night on that game gear man. yeah i totally. played the crap out of that game but now man to play them it's like whoa this screen is streaking like crazy yeah or it, like with the turbo express the resolution is it's awful well that's so. why you can i mean you obviously don't need to play that stuff on the handheld uh hardware you can always go with the master system version of whatever game even if you mm-hmm. need to go get a realm because it might have only come out in like South America. Brazil, yeah. yeah. So, but we're here to talk about Mega Turk, and this episode is going to be a little bit different because neither of us really played it back when it originally came out in the early 90s. So this is going to be more of a discovery episode, an episode where we discuss what it's like to really find one of these games that we totally missed out on back when it came out, and then how it holds up today and really what stood out to us. So, we're going to get into that in just a couple minutes. And before we do that, I just want to, again, thank uh, for just last week, uh, Georgia Dow came on the show from Isometric to talk about Star Fox 64, along with Peter Brown from GameSpot. And I wasn't on my game that week. I was not, I was not like, I didn't have the right levels, like my medication levels of caffeine weren't dialed in. So I hope this week is a little bit better, but um, I hope you guys still enjoyed it. We got some great feedback. And from talking to Georgia, I think she she might be coming back on for uh, some Metroid episodes as well. She's a big Metroid fan. So we'll be cool. doing that soon. But before we do anything else, we need to take a quick break. We're going to be talking briefly about the history of Mega Turrican, which is rather interesting. And then we're going to get into some more discussion of the game. So stick around. Here is more of the awesome soundtrack of Mega Turrican.
talk about the history of Mega Turrican. Like I said, it's rather interesting. The developer was Factor 5, and in the United States, it was published by Data East, but Sony ImageSoft actually did the publishing in the European regions. It came out on June 7th, 1994 in North America, and just sometime in 94 in Europe and its other regions. And this is obviously not the first Turrican game. Uh, these games came out on PCs and they were very big in Europe as they were developed over there uh, on their the European computer systems and consoles out there. But I will mention a couple tidbits of information. Uh, like, just despite not being the original, the Amiga version of this game that we're going to talk about uh, was the one that was first commercially released in 1993. Mega originally had a delayed release because they were having problems getting a publisher. Uh, the Amiga version was published by Rainbow Arts in Germany and Renegade in the rest of Europe. Like, for us, Greg, these are completely foreign publishers that we've never heard of, but... I'm sure we have some European listeners that are going to know what the heck we're talking about. Uh, the Mega Drive version did not have a publisher and stayed unreleased from spring 93 when it was finished until 1994 when Data East took over its worldwide distribution. Data East itself released the game in North America and contracted Sony ImageSoft for the game's distribution in Europe. And uh, like in the book where uh, Blake J. Harris came on the show talking about like the weird things that Sony was doing before they got into console, uh, you know, development, or I should say making consoles themselves. They were doing some publishing through Sony ImageSoft and even making some of their own games, which really weren't very good. Some like games like Hook. Um, Love it. Oh, I mean, Hook actually, it's a good looking game. It's just a really bad kind of game. Ah. Uh, uh. I don't know. I, I thought it looked all right. Um, the Amiga version was actually called Turrican 3 Payment Day. Uh, you will see with the Turrican series, the games are called Super Turrican on the Super Nintendo and Mega Turrican, obviously for the Mega Drive in Europe, but it also had that name brought over when it came to North America. The main differences between the Mega Drive and Amiga versions are the graphics and sound, obviously. Uh, notably, the graphical department of the original Mega Drive version uh, was compromised in the porting process to the Amiga, resulting in slight loss of color, some missing backgrounds, and general lack of animations and graphical effects. The music and sound effects reported to the Amiga sound capabilities with the readjustments and various tracks compositions being made in the process. This is also something that's worth noting. If you play Super Turrican, you're going to see that the, or you can hear that the first track of the first stage is the exact same in the uh, Mega Turrican and Super Turrican, but obviously it's a little bit more beefed up with the, let's be honest, better sound hardware of the Super Nintendo. Mm. Um, I think it's always important to take a look at a box. I, I, I like having boxed Genesis games just because. They're readily available. It's not too hard to find, but also you get to see how this was marketed to people. Uh, first off, the box art is unbelievable. It just like is the epitome of the, like yelling at a kid. This is a badass like <coughs> robot mech somewhat dude with there's fire. There's a, a gigantic gun. You get to see a look at the grapple hook and you can see a picture of the final boss that you're going to fight. Also, it did get a uh, EGM Editor's Choice Gold Star right on the box art itself, which 
shows you how important EGM was back in 1994. Uh, it did try to somewhat sell the game as being lengthy by saying it's got 15 levels, which is really, it's really five stages that are broken up into three different parts, which we'll get mm-hmm. into a li- get into that uh, more in a little bit, with 15 bosses, which are really like a bunch of mini bosses. Uh, and also it emphasizes scrolling speed as fast as a, quote, sonic boom, a continuous action that stretches the Sega Genesis's capabilities to its limits and automatically adjusts to the six-button controller, which is what I played it on. And to be honest, I didn't even realize that it had any six-button support. I did also not realize that it had six-button support. I played it with a six-button controller, but I don't know what I missed. Weird. Um, yeah, I just I usually just play with a six-button because the D-pad is always way better. Yeah. Um, and for just quick story bits, uh, you are uh, Breen McGuire, leader of the United Planets Freedom <laughs> Forces, about to embark on a crucial mission against the dark forces of, quote, well, I guess the bad guys are called the machine in a planet-wide struggle to save the galaxy. And that is your goal, is to save the galaxy like any other 1990s action platformer. Dead East. <laughs> I don't know. This is, uh, it's, it's one of my favorite box arts. And if you haven't checked it out, you'll see it in the show notes. Go take a look. Also, I want to mention the composer. Uh, this is not going to be the right pronunciation of the name, but Chris uh, Hulsbeck. I'm going to sure. I'll, I'll I'll go with that. Uh, and also, it's, it's a yeah. I think it's a Swedish name. Uh, I think it. I think it might actually be German because it was Factor Five, and Factor Five is a German company. There you go. That makes a lot so. more sense. Um, and Chris, today you can get his awesome Turkin soundtrack anthology where he completely redid the music, uh, rearranged it at turkinsoundtrack.com. He did a Kickstarter for, I believe, all these, and they were luckily funded. And you get to check out the soundtrack from Mega Turkin on Turkin Soundtrack Anthology Volume 3. That's the one you're going to want to check out. But for this episode, I'm going to be using Jess Music from the Mega Drive version. So that is how fast we're going to get through the history. We're going to take a quick break, and now we're going to get to really discuss the game. So stick around. Now we get to really talk about the game itself. And like I mentioned before, Greg and I were really going into this. I know we played this game before this week, but now we really sat down and put the time into playing through Mega Turrican. Greg, I'm really interested 
let's just start with initial impressions, like the first stage, what, what really popped out for you? <clears throat> Actually, I think the thing that really popped out for me was the music and not so much the quality of it, which is really good. It's a really good soundtrack, but it just, it starts off with this. It's almost like this got this really happy, bouncy upbeat, yeah, kind totally. of upbeat tone. Like yep. when you first start and you kind of expect it to be like a plat, what you hear in a platformer, but it's like this hardcore Contra style shooter. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's really, at first it was kind of jarring. That's literally the first thing that I wrote down is great upbeat music on the first stage. Like I'm ready to go. Like, I don't feel like I'm going to war. Yeah. Like it's, (laughs) you know, nor exactly. Like you kind of, in a lot of these games, the music that you get in a lot of shooters is kind of like something you think you'd listen to and you're going to go play hockey or or football or something. (laughs) You want to go and beat the crap out of somebody. And it's like, this one's no, I mean, it's really good and it's upbeat and it, gets you up and ready but not to play a shooter it feels like mm-hmm. at first but then you're playing and it's like the soundtrack's great man like yeah. it, it does fit the game it's weird how it fits the game but it totally does fit the game and it fits the levels yeah uh, which is something that being 1994 i'm sure i'm sure like composers would take a look at a stage and they try to compose music that made <clears throat> made it have the feel of the stage but uh, i feel like they really just or chris really nailed it in this game absolutely and and in such a cool and different way like he totally could have gotten away with like i said doing something like a contra or even a gunstar heroes or something yeah but like well, yeah, he went a totally different route and it's so cool that's that's a great comparison because there are going to be a lot of similarities between this and a game like contra or bionic commando and mm-hmm. you look at soundtracks for for any of those games and they are pretty different maybe maybe later in mega turrican you get some more like music that you might find in contra hardcore or something like that but you start up contra hardcore and it's just like Guitars, hard like, rock, guitar, guitar. Yeah. yeah, and it's just crazy Genesis like Konami music. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean that was that was the kind of the first impression. Then I, I got to playing it, and and really like for me it was it's it was so close to a Contra game, um, and it's got a really interesting color palette too. It's it's mm-hmm. not and not and I'm not saying that as a complaint. It's just like it looks like it's really taking advantage of sort of the limitations. Of the Genesis color palette, I mean, the, the, the Genesis only had, what, 64 colors on screen. So, you know, if you try to make it look like a Super Nintendo game, it was always going to look like crap. But um, they took what was there and they made some really interesting color choices, which, again, you, you kind of got back in the day anyway. But, you know, looking at it through contemporary gamer eyes where, you know, shooters are all brown and dark and, and you know, foreboding and it's just a really bleak atmosphere – this game's kind of really colorful while still being a really good shooter. It it has, uh, like like you said, it has a very distinct look. It ha- it doesn't look like a lot of other Genesis games. Mm. It doesn't look, I, like, I think of Genesis games as maybe a little bit grittier. Uh, yeah. Maybe it is the right word to use where the Super Nintendo was a little bit more obviously colorful since it had the, the you know, hardware to, to back it up. Um, but... It, it just has a very unique look at the same time. It's impressive just what they're doing with a really rock solid frame rate, e- even with tons of enemies on the screen, tons of stuff going on. And then there's also really smooth parallax scrolling with detailed environments, very mm. detailed environments, which, uh, again, normally you, you kind of see just like basic 
patterns for a background, even when you're getting parallax scrolling, but there's like little things that are in the nooks and crannies of the background, even on that first stage, like you see, I guess like aliens or whatever they are in like a stasis chamber, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, behind you. And then you get to actually fight whatever those are or other things in stasis chambers that are really close to you. Um, Little things like that just really get this game off to a really smooth and really impressive start. Yeah, totally. What did you think of just right off the bat, you go to the first item box and immediately you get options of a options of power ups, three different power up power ups, uh, laser, a uh, rebound weapon or multiple, which is really like your spread shot. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's cool. I, the, the power up system kind of frustrated me a little bit in the game in general, um, just because, you know, almost every item box that you shoot, you get like the option of everything, which is great. But it's really, really hard to pick, like, to get one if it's surrounded by two other colors. Totally. Um, which is kind of a pain in the ass. But, you know, you, you kind of learn to deal with it. And, and you get plenty of them. Mm. So, you know, it's six of one, half dozen the other, really. I mean, it, it, you can complain about it. But at the same time, what I will say is I really like the different weapon choices. There's not a ton. Um, like, I think what you have technically like four. You have your standard blaster. You have the... The spread shot, the laser, they call it all. It, it shoots like giant green fireballs, basically. Yeah. And then there's the the other one where I forget what they call it, but you're, you you fire straight ahead and then you have two projectiles that will go up and down. And the if rebound. They hit the rebound. If it hits a horizontal surface, it'll hop along that surface. Mm-hmm. It's a very cool weapon. On the ceiling, too. Yes. He's ceiling and floor. So um, you really like it's a relatively short game. But even within that short time, you really sort of figure out that. They did a really good job with the the level design because there is areas where you definitely want a certain weapon. Um, so you know, you as you play it more and more, which is the way these games were back in the day. Like they're short games, but they're hard because you know you got you want to get as much use out of it as you can. You kind of learn. It's like you you hit this certain power up box, and it's like okay, so I'm getting to like this little area. It's a very vertical area that I'm going to be dropping down. I really want the the rebound shot because then I have that sort of that that shot that goes straight down every time and I can get a couple enemies on the way down yeah, we as well mention, as homing missiles and stuff. Yeah, so. we should mention that unlike Contra, you cannot just shoot directly up or down. Yeah, you that was go weird left too. left or right, that's it. <laughs> or, and you can obviously duck to make these shots go a little bit lower. But um, I mean, one of the frustrations that I'll talk about a little bit later is that it is sometimes really frustrating when you cannot hit an enemy that is right in front of you because you need to mm-hmm. get like the right angle and there's projectiles coming at you from multiple directions. This game throws a lot at you at once. It is, you know, not a game that is just going to baby you and, you know, hold your hand through the game. Yeah. After that first, I guess they want to call it the first world, shit gets real. Like immediately, stage two is drastically more. Or, World Two is drastically more difficult than the first three stages that you went through. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, and and it's I, I didn't realize really at first what a short game it is technically, but I I never finished it. So oh oh okay, good, I did. So I will. Uh, okay. I this is I, and there's a pro tip that I can help you out on how to finish through the game. And I should say uh, the grappling hook is not a grappling hook on the box. It says it is uh, instead a uh, incredible plasma rope. It's a plasma rope. It is incredible. Um, it doesn't look like a plasma rope, but no. Um, this 
this cool, I'm going to call it a grappling hook, uh, allows you to grapple and you can notch your arm, you know, with the directional button. Once you hold down the A button, getting ready to fire, you can actually move the angle of the rope so you can get into harder to reach areas for things like extra lives and things like that. But really? Yeah. I didn't know any of this. Once you hit A, you can, you can start tapping, you know, left or right or yeah, I believe it's, or maybe it, it's up and down. Oh, God, that would have made my life so much easier. In oh, some it's, it is. It totally does because oh. then you, you're you're able to get the rope into a certain angle to then pull yourself up really fast and then hit the jump to get into all these secret spots. Like even just talking about secret areas in this game in the first in the first level in the first stage or the first world. Man, this is going to be so confusing. Um, there's six extra lives. I, I was going to say, that's one of the things that I really love about the, like the status screen when you finish each area is, uh, it tells you what you missed. It tells you how many extra lives you missed. And I'm looking and, and it's actually going back to the level design. That's one of the things that I end up really digging about this too, is that, you know, like it's, you can play it as a run and gun shooter and it really, it, it works that way. I mean, like you said, it's got some problems, um, but in general it works, you know, and it's nice cause it's got a lot of horizontal and vertical scrolling areas. Mm-hmm. So you, you get, you know, a lot of variety. But then you get to that screen after the first level, and it's like, I missed six extra lives. Where in the world yeah. were those extra lives? Like, I didn't even see where they could have been. Well, the problem is in uh, in World 2 or the second section of stages, there's, in, there's invisible walls. Or I should say there's mm-hmm. walls that are actually things that you can walk through. Okay, see, I didn't even know that. But even even if you don't know that, there's a lot of places that you can just find if you stop and really start looking around, which apparently is a Turrican thing. Like that's something that those yeah. games are known for. So it, it, it there, there's definitely a lot of exploration that can be had there. So you kind of get a bit of bit of the platforming genre uh, pluses in there as well Absolutely. as the shooter. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I kind of want to go. I'm going to say stage by stage, and I'm not going to say worlds anymore. I'm going to say there's five stages, and there's a stage like one one, and there's one two and one three. Um, but as as we go forward, uh, one of the things that I wanted to make sure that we also mentioned is that uh, really, the I, I thought the the controls are just fantastic. Like it just felt so good. And there's really hard parts in like stage four where you're jumping from platform to platform in an auto scrolling stage. And it's not like Super Mario Brothers physics, but at least it it is what it is and it just feels really good. It's really precise. And again, I'm playing on like a PVM so I had like zero lag and you know whatsoever. But uh it just it feels really good. It feels way better than Bionic Commando, which I think feels a little bit more more uh, stiff. This just felt a lot more fluid, and I I really started to dig using the the grappling hook to start swinging all over the place, trying to get into secret areas, trying to skip whole sections of levels by trying to jump over like this wall, um, and you you would find yourself using that, and then just you just happen to swing into a secret area. Uh, a lot of the times you could, you'd be running into the the walls and stuff like that. But um, yeah, lots and lots of really, really cool stuff. And I want to make sure we also break for uh, a little bit to put in some more music. But uh, before we go stage by stage, like I mentioned before, there's lots of mini bosses that break up those individual one, 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 two, one, threes. And, the game is relatively fair when it comes to checkpoints, Greg. Like, I mean, if you die, you might lose, 
like a minute and a half of progress at the most. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I would say that. Um, it is relatively fair. It's, I, I, I'm not, I don't totally agree with you as far as the, the, uh, precision of the controls. Um, it felt a little bit, I don't know, not janky. quite as responsive as I wanted it to be. I don't want to say that it felt, uh, laggy or anything cause it doesn't, but, um, I think actually probably I had more of an issue with like, uh, the collision detection more than anything else. And the fact that it knocks you back a little bit when you get hit. Yes. All right. That's going to be a big, again, stage four. That is yeah. going to be a really big component of one of the frustrations, but that is, that's like the rules, man. And there's going to be games that like Mega Man, you're going to get hit and you're going to get knocked back and you're just going to have to know going forward. Yeah, that's like, true. That that's going to be that's going to be part of the game, but it does also cause a lot of frustrations. Yeah. Um another thing that I thought was worth mentioning is also there's like a Samus ball like mine attack too. Yeah, I don't I don't get that so much um, because you just seem well I can, I can activate it but you seem like you're completely out of control when you use it you're you're out of control like you're bouncing all over the place when you use it but uh for certain bosses if you land it like it rips the boss to shreds like it just kills the bosses super super fast so the only time i ever used it is when i like knew oh man i'm about to there's no way i'm gonna avoid this boss i'm gonna just use the mines and try to hit it while i'm about to get take damage anyways um but it's uh it's weird. Like it, it's just, if it, it, the best way I can describe it is like a Metroid, you know, morph ball bomb attack. Yeah. Yeah. But, but uh, a lot more powerful and not necessarily used to open up secret areas. So I know we only talked for about 15 minutes, but I want to again, make sure that we have a couple segments so we can break things up. We're going to come back and we're going to break it down stage by stage. And this might be the point where if you want to play this game, you might want to just stop now, play through the game, and then come back. Um, <laughs> otherwise, we're going to be talking really going stage by stage and then talking about what the game does and uh, what we liked and what we didn't. So hopefully this is your warning to go do that and uh, stick around. Otherwise, we'll be right back with more Mega Turk. said i want to break this down a little bit we hit on the first stage it's a really nice intro into the game but then you get to stage two and things really heat up because you have these goddamn crabs that (laughs) that are so overpowered these are crabs that are crawling on the floor and a lot of times like i said you you don't have the ability to kind of shoot down or shoot at an angle there's no eight-way shooting it's just left or right and these crabs can sometimes be in areas that you cannot get to 
while they're also spitting these bubbles at you that are like super strong. Like super, they take yes. tons of hits to destroy. Um, and then if you destroy those, then you have to also get <laughs> in position to kill the crab, which again also takes an abnormal amount of damage. Um, but those are the big things that really start coming at you in uh, stage two. And that's when those con- uh, continues start getting used. Yeah, totally. And I mean, we're talking before about um, being knocked back. I-, I could be wrong with this, but it sure felt like this is what was happening. You can get yourself into a situation where if you're in like a long horizontal area and you get knocked back by something that's coming towards you, it can keep hitting you like, you know, based on you- the knockback animation. Yep. Which so it can really suck a lot of energy. But you're right about those crabs. But it also goes back to what I was saying. It's all about having the right weapon. Because I mean, I know in in one of those areas too, they get you. It's like this long horizontal corridor, but you're constantly sort of on the low level and the high level. And then they put you in these areas where these little like valleys, and that's where those crabs will be. And if you haven't got the rebound weapon, there's no way you're hitting them. There's absolutely no way you're hitting them without jumping down into the hole with them. And you can't beat them fast enough to keep them from hurting you. Plus, those bubbles move at this weird, weird ass angle yeah. that you just can't. You're you're gonna take damage. It's what's the best way to put this? Um, frustrating. It's frustrating, but <clears throat> you, you mentioned the rebound weapon. I, I, I it works in that situation, but I never wanted to use it because it feels so much like the. Uh, the flamethrower from Contra, which is like the <laughs> like the thing that goes in circles as it goes towards the enemies, and I just felt like it's it useless. just it's it's not well it's, it's useless, but you can't get like lots of rapid fire shots off of mm. that weapon. You have to kind of wait for the uh, bullets to disappear before you can fire more. Where with the laser or the multiple, you can just hammer that thing and you'll get in as many shots off as you want. It's not one of those things where you have to wait for like three bullets to get off the screen before you can start shooting again, like in Mega Man. Um, but you're totally right. You need to make sure you have the right weapon. I found myself using the multiple weapon a lot because those crabs were also on the ceiling and I still just wanted to make sure I had that multiple shot for when I get out of that situation, there's still at least like there's four other enemy types that are brand new in this stage, including like a gigantic snake that is going through the water where, when you discover that you can swim mm-hmm. and then there's electric eels that are electrifying the water to hurt you. That and was a pain in the ass. Very cool though. But at the same time, all three of these things are happening in the same screen. There's water yeah. coming from the ceiling, a waterfalls <laughs> that are hurting you. And then there's also uh, areas where there's large pits. These are all in the same section of the stage where you step on these platforms and if you step on them too long, they start spinning like almost like the uh, like little things that spin randomly in Super Mario Brothers 3. But then uh, they just throw, like the thing that I found about those that really drove me nuts was that I wouldn't mind if they were like those platforms in Super Mario 3 where they actually spin and you slide off, but that's not how they work because <laughs> they, they shake for a while and then yeah. you just fall off. Yep. Like right through the platform. It's like, uh, no, I'm not, I'm not crazy about that. That There wasn't enough warning about it's that was going to happen. It's a little janky when it comes to jumping off of, you know, those things. But, uh, I mean, this is one of the first stages where you're going to start <clears throat> falling into a lot of pits. You're given three continues and you're going to use those up really, really fast when you start learning these stages. And when you have to use one of those continues, if you made it all the way to like two, three, you go all the way back to two, one, and you got to start going mm-hmm. all the way through that whole process again with the same 
uh, among a live. So you need to make sure that, you know, you learn those initial sections of the stages so you can start blasting through those first two parts, then start working on the third part, get through that boss, then make it to stage three where you can start all over again. And then really it's all about learning these stages, not unlike a, like a Contra hardcore or a, you know, a Contra four or a, uh, Contra three, I should say, um, or a Castlevania game where you need to really learn the areas, learn where things are going to spawn and be ready to fire. Be cautious. Don't rush through the levels. Like that's one of the things that I do all the time in games. And if you do it in this game, you're going to get your energy chewed up super, super fast. Um, while it is super hard, one of the benefits or one of the things that it, uh, the, the game gives you is no respawning enemies. So at least True. you have that going for you. Yeah. Even if you die, you go back through that section, the enemies are completely gone. They don't respawn. Yeah, that is nice. Um, and I think shields are super awesome in this game. When you pick up a shield, you just run and you jump into everything because it you'll damage stuff and you're completely invulnerable. So when you get that shield, make sure you make good use of it um, because they're maybe like one per stage or one per section per stage. Like in two, one, you might find one. Yeah, this is really confusing to talk about. But um, anyways, in stage two, I'm curious what you thought when you got to stage three, where it's no longer your underwater. It's no longer a linear stage, but it's more of an open area where you have to figure out where the exit is. I actually got, um, that was the first time I really took notice of the, the, uh, the timer. I mean, I knew it was there, but you know, it's just like there were, there were timers in every game back in the day. Like <clears throat> so many action Street games had range. timers. Yeah. And you never, ever pay attention to it. It's like, there's, I, I don't, I can probably count on one hand the amount of times I've died in, in like a 16 bit game because of a timer. Um, but <laughs> that one, I was like, I was starting to sweat with that because it's like, man, I haven't found there's, I haven't found the boss. Like where the hell is the boss? And okay, there's less than a hundred. Uh, this, this timer's coming down fast. Um, but it was cool. It was, it's a, it was a really nice, you know, it's a nice change of pace because you aren't doing the running and gunning anymore. And it's almost entirely underwater. Well, I think it is entirely underwater and, uh, it's turned into an exploration game all of a sudden. Um, with, of course you still have to shoot stuff, but it, it's a nice, it's a nice way to change it up sort of right in the middle of the game. Um, and it's super hard because you're, you're, you're descending in the water when there's enemies like turrets that are attached to the walls. Yeah. Which again, if you have the laser, you're kind of screwed unless you get there really quick. You, you know, fire a bunch of shots, you destroy it, and then you get the hell out of the way to avoid the projectile that was <clears throat> uh, just shot. Um, it is, it, it can become a mess and, like I said, you will start losing your energy super fast. I really think, though, that that's kind of what they were going for in the game, too, is, um, I mean, not just that it's difficult, but that it's not so much of avoiding damage as it is um, managing damage. Hell yes. Dude, I, it's like we played this friggin' game together because that is the <laughs> next thing I, I've written down in my notes. It's like you almost have to take, like, strategic damage. Like, you have to know. Totally. I'm just, I'm just going to take damage to this part. It's okay. But... There's so many like health or energy power ups that you just got to remember where they are, so you can just say, "I'm going to take damage now, then find the next power up." Exactly, because there's there's power up crates all over the place, and nine times out of ten, it's going to have an energy power up, and yeah. the energy power ups are pretty uh, generous. 
So it's full I health. Think, yeah, it's full health. No matter so, what. So, yeah. you know, it's kind of like you're looking at it and it, it has more to do with, okay, I'm not going to avoid every bullet. I mean, if you're really good, you, you can, I guess. But yeah. it has more to do with like, okay, if I take, if I put myself here, I'll take a hit, but I'm going to destroy that turret faster mm-hmm. and he can't hit me again. <laughs> right. So it's like, okay, that's what I'll do. And I just, that's, I kind of hope that I'm going to get to the next loot, loot crate before, before I die, basically. Yeah. There's just, the stage two, the stage two, three is when so many things are being fired at you. There's so many enemies just torpedoing at you. You are going to take a lot of damage and you're just going to use up a couple of lives on this stage. Uh, one of the benefits in certain sections, like the boss battles, at least, if you die, you just keep going through your lives. You don't. Have I was to- just going to say that. Yeah, because you mentioned respawning before and, and I, I'd forgotten to mention that, like, when you die on a boss battle, <clears throat> you don't restart the boss battle. Mm-hmm. You respawn during the battle, so any damage you've you've dished out is still there. So it's that's a really nice a really nice touch because that is not the way the game works otherwise, really, because they will put you back to a respawn point everywhere else. Yeah, keep in mind, still only three continues when yeah. uh, you you lose all those lives, um, and. Still, you, you die at 2-3, you go back to 2-1, and you're going to chew through a bunch of lives before you get there anyway. So um, extra lives. There are a ton of them in this game. It is really true advantage. Like in 2-3, like you, I spent a lot of time like, I'm like, where the hell am I going to go? But I ended up finding three extra lives while I was just going through this like maze underwater. Um, so it was somewhat beneficial. And uh, let's... Uh, Let's talk about stage three. Um, you start off, I don't know why, you start off in the air, descending to the ground. Uh, you go from being under, in like an underwater facility, like a toxic uh, waste facility, into the air where you're descending from uh, platforms that are connected to flying cars that are moving at, you know, in straight lines in diagonal or uh, diagonal lines, I guess. Um, and you're having to jump from platform to platform as you descend into a, uh, like a, a garbage yard. Like it is a dump that you're going down into in a post apocalyptic post apocalyptic. Oh man, Greg, I totally can't talk tonight. This is why you don't exercise and like make your mouth really dry before recording podcasts. But that's why um, I don't exercise period. Like a Terminator two, like future where there's a destroyed city in the background Mm -hmm. and uh you're basically walking over garbage did you you made it to stage three right i think i did once oh dude i'm embarrassed about how far i couldn't make it in this game it's it's okay first off in greg's defense this game is super hard and i've been playing it for like the last year (laughs) and i've been (laughs) like chipping away at it over and over but um i will say when you get to stage three you get down to this uh dump basically you're fighting enemies and then there's the most unfair enemy in the game which is like bouncing basketballs of garbage that are constantly (laughs) coming at you from the right side of the screen and they're pretty much impossible to avoid so that's like you said before what we were talking about just knowing all right i'm going to take damage i just need to make sure i have enough health to get to that next power up you know, item box, and then hopefully it has an energy power up in there. Um, even before you get to that, though, 
the 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 first uh, first section of stage three just throws three bosses at you one after the other. One oh, yeah. is like a fist that's dropping on you. One is like a one of those flying turrets from Terminator Two. Like I feel like Hunter Killer. Yeah, yeah, maybe it must have been one of those. Yeah, with the yeah, we'll say it is. Um, <laughs> I could have totally watched Terminator Two again soon, but um, and then there's just like a trash truck, like a garbage truck that's coming at you and you face those three one after the other. They're really not difficult. And, uh, it's just like, we're like it, in terms of pacing, you're just going to throw three bosses really seconds apart from each other, uh, which is fine. I mean, I'm, I like, you know, boss battles. Those are cool. Um, but at the end of stage th- three, if you get all the way there, you have this gigantic, what I guess is a garbage truck with a flamethrower and like the, you know, those, I don't know what, what what are these called? Like for, for dumpsters, you have these special trucks that can pick up those dumpsters and then flip them over into the garbage truck. Um, you're fighting something like that. So there's a arm that's coming forward and then also coming at you. And it's a pretty simple boss battle. Once you just know you got to stay under the flamethrower, pretty much nothing else will hurt you. Um, you'll be good to go. And that is the end of probably the second most frustrating stage of of the game because then there's stage four greg you're lucky you didn't get to stage four um okay i'm okay with getting influences from other mediums for your games but the people that made megaturk and watched a lot of aliens and they watched a lot of terminator uh because stage four is basically aliens the game like the first stage of aliens the game. Um, you can even see that the character designs were like completely ripped out of aliens from the drooling alien heads. Like it looks like the heads of the aliens from That's aliens. Awesome. Um, there's face huggers that are hatching out of eggs that will hat like latch onto your face and then suck all your energy super fast unless you go into that, uh, you know, bomb, uh, morph ball mode. Okay. Um, after, and I should say, like, 4-1 is another nonlinear stage. Like, you're kind of going all over the place. And unlike 2-3, which is also a nonlinear stage, there's actually directions being blinked at you, like uh, like a Final Fight or a Streets of Rage that's, like, telling you, like, go this way, go up, go right, go left, go down, um, which maybe was a playtest thing where they saw people, to, like, didn't know where the hell to go. They got lost, and then they ran out of time. Potentially. Maybe. Um, and then 4-2 is a s- auto-scrolling train stage where you're jumping from car to car when they're not connected in an auto-scrolling stage where there's enemies in the air. I died so oh. many goddamn times in this stage. And this is the point where I said, all right, Kevin, you, you, I know, Kevin, you like to finish these games for the podcast. It's really important for you to get through them. And... Sometimes you just got to type in Mega Turk and cheats. Um, and this was my strategy to make it fair. The only Lame. thing, this is the only thing that I did is that I used the Mega Turkin level skip uh, code, which allowed me to, if I went through all my continues, I could go back to the first stage and you could just pause the game, hit right, left, down, right, B, unpause. It just takes you to, from like one, one to one, two to one, three to two, one. And then you have to, keep entering the code so you get all the way back to that stage so 
that was the thing that I was going to do to make sure I could play through this game because I, I probably died 35, maybe 40 times in that, that, uh, that stage alone four two, where you're auto scrolling, going from train to train. And then there's also these things that look like enemies, but I guess you're supposed to jump on top of them that are actually moving at a different speed as the auto scrolling and a different speed as the trains you are jumping from these, like they look like mouths, like alien mouths that are, have no head. It's just like if someone like did a trace around your mouth and you just made like a, like a, you know, that look and, you're jumping on top of those and then jump into trains. And there's a section where there's 12 of those one after the other with nothing else under you. And it is enough room for just you to stand on it. Like there's very little room for error. And maybe that was the point where I'm like, Oh, maybe the controls aren't that bad because I've died 40 times. And I've like mastered these controls at this point. Um, but even while you're jumping from train to train, there's also, crap on the ends of the train there's enemies and then there's also flamethrowers that are coming out of the trains which like greg was saying if you get hit by those you get knocked back into the pit and this is for retro gamers if you played shadows of the empire on the nintendo 64 and you played that goddamn train stage where you're like jumping and floating in midair while trying to jump from train car to train car on multiple tracks if you remember that stage from shadows of the empire which i'm sure we all have nightmares about still you know 20 years later this is pretty much what is going on but in in 2d instead of the nightmarish 3d of shadows of the empire Uh, greg do you remember the jump physics of shadows of the empire oh yeah it was terrible oh my god like you're just Oh, God damn. <laughs> this is traumatic for you. I really, because I don't know why, like it, playing this, I haven't thought of that stage for 15 <laughs> years. All right. Like I haven't gone back to that game and gotten that far through it in, in 15 years, but this, I'm like, oh my God, this is just like, like tr- jumping from cart to cart on an auto scrolling stage where like one little mistake, you're completely dead. And it's like, you just fall. Like you just fall into a pit of nothing. And I think even in Shadows of the Empire, like there was no ground, like you just clip through the world or you clip through this like, like gas or whatever, like this fog yeah. that was, well, fog was like in every N64 game, the fog that was on the ground, you just fall into this fog and you were dead. Um, so man, 4-2, that is the biggest pain in the ass of almost any game that I played for this show. Um, so look forward to that. Or just, again, if you need to, don't hesitate, pause, right, left, down, right, B, unpause, and just skip that level because there's really nothing good that you're going to like miss <laughs> out of that level. And then stage four or three is like a complete repeat of 4-1 where it's, again, it's an open area. It's like the same exact assets from that first... but it is super hard there's so many enemies and there's so much crap coming after you like this is where i got to the boiling point so i had to use that same thing i went all the way back to one one i farmed all the one-ups from the first two stages that i knew where they were so i went into four two and four three every single time with like eight lives so i could have oh you kept trying to beat it I figured you were just move forward to the next stage. No, because like I, I was kind of like sitting here today and I was listening to podcasts and trying to play through it because it wasn't 
like I was needing to hear this music over and over again at this point. It was just, I wanted, like, I just felt like I needed to get this done. It was like, it was like that time where I played ghouls and ghosts literally all day on the Sega Genesis. Like I left my Genesis on all day. I was playing it nonstop. I would pause, I would walk away, I'd do some work, I'd come back to it and I'd play some more. That's the same thing that I did today with Mega Turkey because I just, I needed to close the chapter of this, my video gaming history of this game um, because I've had it for so long and I've loved it, but I've never beaten it. So four, three, like I said, it's a repeat. It's just way harder. There's nothing, nothing to really add to it. Uh, you have your face huggers, you have your alien looking dudes crawling over the place. Then stage five, stage five gets back to awesome kick-ass music. And it is like, it's like Metal Man stage from Mega Man 2 because you have these excuse me, conveyor belts that are moving along the ground too on these platforms that you're jumping platform to platform with these conveyor belts that are on while you're trying to grapple to the platform above you. Then you're trying to swing to get to momentum to jump onto the platform that is ab- above you, that. So stage stage five is again, it's just, it's again, it's more super, super, super hard stuff. And when I was dying a ton in stage five, it's like, it has to, I have to get through this. I can't just give up now. I think, I think I maybe did that continue trick two or three times. So it probably took me 24 lives to get through stage five, but, uh, you get to a really cool, like Terminator. Like it looks like a gigantic Terminator T 800 boss. (laughs) Um, not very unlike mass effect two, um, but it is like a scared Terminator that is hiding underneath a garage door. And I, you, if you want, you got to look that. That's this, a bizarre description. You got to look this. It looks like like a a, a termin a gigantic Terminator head that is hiding in a warehouse that is pulling up a garage door with one hand. It's firing like these lasers at you, and then it is trying to punch you on the ground with its other arm. So. And, and then it will close close the garage door, and then it will open it back. Like, it's the oh yeah, I'm looking at pictures of it now. Okay, so it is a wasn't weird... there a similar boss in? Um, actually, that looks really cool. Now that I'm looking at the pictures of it, well, it's wasn't gigantic. There a it's similar huge. boss in uh, Contra Hardcore. I have no idea. I think there I, was. I, I can't get anywhere in Contra Hardcore. That that game is that game makes this get the game Japanese look, version. Oh yeah, probably right. Yeah, it's always a Japanese version. Um, but you just keep shooting this Terminator in the eyes, and then you're good to go. I made it to the final boss battle, which was pretty easy. Like, the boss battles are actually not very difficult in this game. No. It's everything in between the boss battles that is it's frustratingly there. hard. Yeah. Um, and even, like, the final boss battle, it's the boss that is in the upper left-hand corner of the box art. It just looks like this Japanese samurai uh, mech dude. Well, you can tell that's what they were going for with this, uh, with the art in general. Because I mean, the, the the intro cinema looks like they tried to go for sort of a Japanese style. They didn't quite get it, but but it's oh, close. I mean, I, I if if you showed me this game today, the only thing that really stands out is the music as being European. If you didn't tell me this was developed, really, in Europe, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go that far. I think I think the, the Turrican suit looks totally European. European. Yeah, it just <laughs> looks like European art. And not not saying it's bad. It just it has that look to it. I I still think this game is is well worth playing. It is very. It's getting very expensive oh, sure. on eBay right now. It's like 
like 50 or $60 for a box copy of it. Loose carts are going for like 30 or 40 bucks. Um, it is available. I don't know if it is anymore, but it was available on the Wii Virtual Console, mm-hmm. um, which, of course, you can use backwards compatibility on your Wii U to check that out. Um, otherwise, I mean, that's really the only way that you're going to gonna play it. But it, mm-hmm. is a, it is a weird game. It is something that I feel is really unique in terms of the Sega Genesis uh, library. I just feel like it, it has its own little section of the library that is really it just stands out from a lot of the other stuff that I played on the console. It's not it's not like a lot of those kind of rough western based games that were on the Genesis. There are some I mean there are some tracks on this soundtrack that whether it's John Riccardi or Mark McDonald that want to say it sounds like farts like they could use these tracks to say it sounds like farts, but there's also tracks. I say a good two thirds of the soundtrack is phenomenal. Um, and you've heard those tracks in this podcast. You can make up your mind for yourself. What'd you think, Greg? I mean, obviously you, you got some work to do. You maybe need to use some of those codes to see the rest of the game, but no codes, no codes. You had a game genie growing up, right? Gotta be pure. I did have a game genie growing up. Yeah. So what are you talking about? <clears throat> no, I'm just I'm just giving you a hard time. Um, no, I, I I'm gonna go back and play more of it. Um, but it it is. I mean, it it's when people talk about how games used to be really super hard. Mm-hmm. Like this is the game they're talking about. Uh, not in the first level or two, but it, it ramps up. Like you're saying, it ramps up so fast once you get a little bit deeper into the game. And it's easy to get really frustrated with it, especially if you're more used to the way we play games now, um, <clears throat> you know, where we always save our progress. And it's just it's it's a totally different beast because it's it's a relatively short game um, f- compared to today's standards. So they had to ratchet up the difficulty. But if you want to put the time in, like, I'm sure there would come a point if you kept playing it where you would be able to get through the game without using a cheat code. But I guess the question is, do you have the the time? <laughs> yeah, to do it, that? it it is literally a one hour game that is stretched into like yeah. ten hours because Which you need is, to learn the stages. That's sixteen bit gaming. Yeah, no, I'm not right? saying I mean, that's, that's. I'm not complaining. Yeah. I, I no, no, I know you're not. I'm just saying in general, like that's something that I think a lot of people have forgotten. They look at it and say, "Wow, those games are so short, but they're so hard." It's like, yeah, but that's how you got your sixty dollars worth. Yeah, no. there's uh, there's also a cheat if you really just want to play through the game. And I hate, like, this is the worst cheats ever. Unlimited health, which makes games well, that's n- different. no fun yeah. to play. Yeah. Um, but I, I just, if you look at Ghouls and Ghosts, where there's unlimited continues, that is kind of what I think is fair. I just don't think it's sure. ever fair to send someone all the way back to the beginning of a game when you know they're just trying to get back to stage four. They need to learn stage four and they need the lives to do it. And you just need that repetition to learn how to attack certain mm. scenarios. And like, we probably aren't giving them enough credit, but the weapons are super vital into what, what you're going to utilize for your weapon is going to make a big difference in specific sections of the, almost every stage. Oh, it totally changes the stages once you know what weapons you want to use when. I mean, that has everything to do with it. Yeah, it's uh, Mega Turrican, Data East, 1994. It's uh, rated GA for general audiences if you are worried about that. 
Uh, well, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to do um, a really cool discussion section since this is a little bit of a shorter episode. So we're going to come back and talk about some recently discovered for ourselves retro games that we think you should check out. Also talking a little bit more about packs and some other retro stuff. So stick around. We'll be right back with that. So just a, a quick bonus segment. This is not part of the regular show. This is just extra stuff that has nothing to do with Mega Turrican. And I mentioned it last week, but in case you did not listen, uh, I will be at PAX East this year. I am, I think it was three years ago was the last time that I went with my buddy Roger. But um, Rich Grisham asked me to be on his sports games uh, panel basically talking about you know what is wrong with today's sports games and for me specifically talking about why I don't play them as much as I used to because I used to be hardcore NFL 2K uh, a gigantic NBA uh, 2K fan a lot of MLB the show and even uh, playing some of the NHL games even though I wasn't a big hockey fan so uh, I'll be on that with Rich TJ Lowerman and I believe it's Garnet Lee is going to be the wow. the four chair. So he's got some big guns. Got nice GL. I mean, I'm not sure you're from the Northeast and you say you're not a big hockey fan. I don't, that doesn't compute, but I'm not. That's I, cool. I, and it's funny. I work at a facility that like trains, uh, professional hockey players. And, uh, we have people that are going to, you know, be the number one draft pick in the nice. NHL. Um, but I don't, watch i don't really care for hockey <laughs> sorry i watch game. pro wrestling pro wrestling is really the, the oh, best God. the best um so and, and I, it was funny people were making uh comparisons between me and dan uh dan reichert from from giant bomb in terms of taste his taste tastes are really far into the extreme direction um, <laughs> but i i think that is a compliment because that guy has awesome enthusiasm. And if he, he's brought so much life into giantbomb.com uh, with a content that I, I listened to a Rocky four commentary track that he did. Oh my God. Uh, with uh, Drew from Giant Bomb. So, yeah, good, uh, good stuff. So, you know what? That's not a bad 
comparison to uh, necessarily have. But yeah, I'll be there and I'm going to be carrying my portable recorder with me. And I know there's lots of friends of back in my play that have been on the show that are going to be there. So I'm going to try to grab some interviews with uh, them talking about what they're seeing on the floor uh, that's retro-related. I'm going to try to grab some developers, uh, including uh, Jules Watchem is going to be there from nice. Xeno Drifter and uh, Mutant Mud's fame. So uh, it's going to be cool to uh, see Jules and it's going to be a, a good show. I'm going to be there probably only on Saturday. So if you're going to go on Saturday, make sure you like tweet at me. So, uh, or keep a lookout on Twitter because I'm going to probably do like a meetup around lunch once I figure out where the hell we could do that at, uh, at PAX. But, uh, Greg, you're not going. No, I wanted to this year, but sort of, you know, uh, events transpired, um, <clears throat> with the layoff and everything that I, the money's not there. And then I'm actually starting a new job next week. So, Oh, congratulations. Uh, it's a little too early to thank you. It's a little That's too awesome. early to say, Oh, I want some time off to go down to Boston. So, <laughs> I'm happy to hear you were not out of work for long, man. That's yeah, last. I was lucky. Thank you. Um, and uh, what was the other thing that I was going to mention? Uh, I kind of forget. Oh, we did get a couple of questions on Twitter and uh, NeoGAF for this discussion. So we'll blaster those quickly. I Like I was talking to Greg before the show, I think you've talked about this like a thousand times on Player One Podcast, but uh, what's your favorite 16-bit console war memory? Uh, console war memory would have to be the advertising in general, um, which is actually, uh, where I'm starting to get to with generation 16. The thing that I loved about, um, the 16 bit war was that Sega in particular, um, just went for the throat, um, of Nintendo. And it was so cool to watch. Um, like we had that, the ad that I'm sure a lot of people who were around then remember, uh, the first person viewpoint ad, where the kid walks into the game store and and the the smarmy salesman is trying to sell him a Super Nintendo with Super Mario Brothers, but of course the Genesis is right next to it playing Sonic and it's fifty bucks cheaper and he chooses the Genesis. But then you got into the Sega Scream and the print ads too were fantastic because um, they immediately took Nintendo to task for their tiny library, which when you really think about it was kind of stupid because the Super Nintendo had only been out for like a week when they started running those ads. Mm. So of course it had no games. But then it was this great ad where there was a super it was so cool to see. It was a print ad. There was a Super Nintendo sitting on a stack of all its games. There was like five of them. And then there was a Genesis sitting on a stack of hundreds of games that just went off like into this cloud below. Mm. Um just to point out the differences in the library. So cool stuff like that. And you know, as it as it went on, um both companies were sort of sniping each other. Like Sega also had that great ad about the Game Gear and the Game Boy uh, called, I think, Tom's Dog, where the um, oh, the I dog, you know, colors, if yeah. you had an IQ of 10 and you can't see, you can only see in black and white, then the Game Boy's for you or something along those lines, which apparently Sega got in some trouble for. But that was the kind of thing I liked. And I also, the reason I liked it was because it did boost Sega past Nintendo. And I think... Um, a lot of good came out of it because you look at something like Donkey Kong Country. I don't feel like Donkey Kong Country happens without Sega doing as well as it did in North America. And if you read Blake Harris's book, Console Wars, he, he kind of references that because um, the, the people who worked at Nintendo admitted that they totally underestimated Sega at the time because why wouldn't they? Right. I mean, Sega had 5% of the market at that point in the U.S., um, and it, it was kind of like the events that happened around that 
around the 16-bit console war in the U.S. that even led to things like, okay, we're going to have somebody outside of Japan make a first-party Nintendo game, which was unheard of. And it was Donkey Kong Country, which was huge. And it was, a, I still say it was a really good game. Oh, they're, they're, they're good games. If people don't like the Donkey Kong yeah. Country games on Super Nintendo, it's just because they're, you know, being a little bit negative these days. And I think the other thing, too, that I really like about it is that um, it expanded uh, gaming in general and uh, talking about sports games in particular. It made sports games a big thing, which I know some people don't like, but I love the fact that, you know, that genre became so huge. And the 16-bit era is when it became huge. Got, got to play some sports stock football. Absolutely. Again, huge competition, right, between Sega and Electronic Arts at the time, which pushed both companies. My, and by the way, uh, Blake J. Harris is also going to be at PAX, so I'll get to uh, grab nice. him and, and talk to him and do some interview stuff when I when I see him. And it's still on the uh, on the to do list is to do uh, Toe Jam and Earl at some point. It's still on and my now the shelf. Kickstarter. Oh, that's right. They also are kickstarting, uh, I guess, the the next Toe Jam and Earl, mm-hmm. which is from the time of this recording, looks like is going to be funded. It looks like it is. It's it's yeah. It, it came out with a bang, so hopefully it gets funded. I know I backed it, so. Yeah, I'm still not really backing anything. I, I think the only thing that I actually backed was the um, not the, the next Kenji Inafune game, uh, the not Mega Man game. Oh, Mighty Number no. 9? Mighty Number no. 9. I think that's the last thing I backed, too, until this came out. I just don't, I, I just don't know. Like, there was, uh, Kotaku had a really good story about the 11 Kickstarters that got over a certain amount that totally disappeared. And I just, for any, maybe like if it's 15 bucks, like I think um, uh, my number nine was like a $15 pledge to make sure you can get the game. And I only did it once they got to the Vita. um, Oh, the Vita tier, the Vita tier. Right. uh, Because I'm like, yeah, if I'm going to play this and like, I, I've been very positive about the 3DS lately, but as soon as I saw that Xeno Drifter was coming to the PlayStation Vita, I'm like, dude, I'm tot- immediately I'm going to buy that game uh, on the PlayStation Vita. And I'm always kind of like, it is just a way better system for 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 downloadable games, Not obviously. But, um, and maybe this is kind of related, but uh, Sony and PSN has a gigantic spring lineup for the uh, downloadable uh, games on their service, including Hotline Miami 2, which is very, not like retro-inspired, but, you know, it has retro-looking graphics, which I uh, is one of my most anticipated games of the year. Um, yeah, a little, a little, doing a little rambling right there, but um, <laughs> I know my, my favorite memory is probably when I look back, first off, Read Console Wars if you haven't already. Blake J. Harris's book. Um, if you don't like to read, get the Audible version. I've gone through that uh, once, and I've read the book once. Uh, and there, it's just a really interesting to read. It's like listening to a really good story, and I can't wait to see what they do with the movie and stuff like that. But I'm interested uh, in the movie, but I'm actually more interested in the documentary. Okay, yeah, I didn't know if I they mean, announced that yet because I know I've talked to him about that. He, yeah, he did. It has been announced. I don't know if they've announced when it's coming out, but I mean, he okay. has been pretty open about the fact that all, a lot of the interviews that he did are televised, or not televised, they've been videotaped. It. I will say uh, you should be very excited about the documentary. Why are you in it? 
No, I just, okay. I, I know, I know stuff. <laughs> you should be very excited All about right. that documentary. And, uh, you're, you're probably right for, for us nerds, like that is going to be the thing that we're going to get the most out of, um, than the stuff being reenacted. But if it's as good as Apollo 13, <laughs> I, I think <laughs> that's that, a similar story. <laughs> you know what? I, I, Apollo 13 is just a movie. You can, you know, the story, but you can watch it over and over and over again. Okay. I see the point you were making. If All it's, right. If it's as well done as Apollo 13, uh, then I'm sure the the movie will be quite good too. And um, I know it's being such put together a bizarre. by... What are you talking about? It's, 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 it's I just did not expect you to... to of all, oh, of of all films movies. to call out, oh, you, you know, if, as long as this is good as Apollo 13. It's based like, what off the hell? of real historic events. That's no, I, I, get, I get it now, but when <laughs> you first said it, I just wasn't ready for um, it. For, for me, when I look back and the more that I <laughs> reflect on my memories of that era, it's so much that I was so, I was so focused on Nintendo. Um, but when I saw Sega Genesis games, I wanted a Sega Genesis. It was, Mm -hmm. I was never the kid that was like, why the hell would I want a Sega Genesis? Super Nintendo is better. When I saw the Sega Genesis, I wanted a Sega Genesis too. Um, and that's when I ended up getting, I got a Sega Genesis too, the remodeled (laughs) version. Uh, and like probably it was the year before it was like 1990. It was, it was 1995 that I got a Sega Genesis Model 2 with Sonic 2 um, included in the box with, you know, classics like Barkley Shut Up and Jam. And I loved that console, and I immediately started by putting all my money towards Sega Genesis stuff um, because I recognized that there was great stuff on both consoles. I had a subscription to Game Pro, so I was able to see what was on everything else, and... Uh, I was very excited for the Sega Saturn when I saw all those awesome arcade ports coming to the Sega Saturn, like Die Hard, the arcade game. Um, I was, I mentioned this on the show before, but I was trying to put together a strategy. What could I trade in to get a Sega Saturn or what did I need to do to get a Sega Saturn? But I was, I like the Sega Saturn now, but I'm probably very lucky to have not gotten one and instead gone with the Nintendo 64, uh, which... I don't think it's disputable. It has a much better library, potentially. I'm sorry, wait. Did, did, wait, did you say the 64 has a better library than Saturn? I think it has more, show is over. more high show quality is over. games. I, have, I own more Sega Saturn games than I do on 64 <clears throat> games today. So do most people. I don't think so. <laughs> most people you go, you people go to, know what they're doing. You go, to, you go to someone's house today, and if they have an N64, they have GoldenEye, they have Mario Kart, they have Super Mario 64, they have all those four-player games that are still worth like 50 bucks now. Like those, those games have just gone skyrocketed in value, uh, which, pro tip, yeah, but the Japanese versions. To be fair, a lot of games have skyrocketed in value that don't deserve it. No, I, no, I, I think I'm looking at. I my, have a copy Duke of Nukem Radical 64. Rex. No, Radical no, oh, Rex. Oh, go to hell! No, that is not Duke Nukem 64. Duke Nukem 64 has four player split screen multiplayer on the Nintendo 64. Or if you have no friends that want to play with you, I'm not saying that was the case. But if you have friends that don't want to play Duke Nukem 64 with you, you can go up against three different bots, and that was. I'll tell you something. Okay, this is the thing. This is the thing. For someone that didn't have a PC. You, you Nintendo-fi Duke Nukem, and you've got, you've got a pretty 
no, pretty middle of the road shooter. Okay, there was no boobs. There was no boobs, and uh, you had Uzis. Like you had dual Uzis. That was awesome. And even if you look at one of the games that I want to cover at some point, I'm just I don't know who the right person is to have on this show, and I don't know if I have. Like this game is super hard, but Doom 64 is a really weird game uh, that I played the crap out of. Like we, uh, again, my friend Jeff that I mentioned on the Star Fox 64 episode, he also had Doom 64. And I just like that game, it was probably the first horror game that I felt like I ever played. That game scared the crap out of me. You're losing me. Are you serious? Did you play Doom 64? <laughs> oh. It's a beautiful Actually, I game. think I did. I think I did. Oh, I played a lot a of N64 game. games. I'm, I'm just, I'm just joshing you for the most part. I played a lot of N64 games. And I just didn't, I, I didn't hold it in super high regard. Like I, I don't like. It holds up. It looks Goldeneye. really good. I didn't like Goldeneye. Oh, that's I real. Didn't oh, like Goldeneye. great. Perfect so, Dark 64. Yeah. Great. Loved Perfect Dark. Didn't like Goldeneye. Weird. Um, I know it is weird. It, it it is totally a time and a place thing where I That's went exactly to what it is. I went to a friend's house and I saw a Goldeneye sixty four and I he had four controllers and I wasn't allowed to play the game because I wasn't like I was like with a bunch of cool kids I was the least cool kid in the group of cool kids. I just somehow got to tag along with this group that day, so I never got a chance to jump in. Um, but See, now Mario Kart sixty four hours play for hours and hours four player nothing yeah. better nothing I, better that was one of the players like star fox 64 that i mentioned last week that was one of the games that i got when it hit player's choice uh so we got mm-hmm. that for 40 bucks and it was after i've already played it at my friend's house but still we would would play the crap out of that game um oddly enough i played a lot of uh kobe bryant's nba courtside on the nintendo 64 which i thought was really really good I think too. a lot of people played that game i think that was pretty popular oh it was it was I mean, that came out of Nintendo. Yeah. Uh, that was Nintendo. They were doing sports games for quite a while. I mean, there was uh, King Griffey. Their right. King Griffey game was really popular. Yep. Um, they yeah. Didn't, they didn't do any football. Football was Madden and NFL Quarterback Club. No, um, they did do hockey and... For Mario. Was it basketball? They did Mario games, but not. I'm not. I'm, I mean, like, licensed No, no, no. Games. I know. I, that's what I'm talking about. There was... On the Super Nintendo I'm talking about now, though... They did Stanley Cup hockey, and they did another, and I think it was NCAA basketball, that were absolutely god awful. Gross. Um, but but they started doing good sports games after that. Ah oh, man, yeah. Let's move on to something else. Yeah, let's talk about something else while we have some <laughs> some time. Um, one game I will mention in in terms of retro games that I have discovered that I have never mentioned on the show. I don't think I actually got an email about it um, last week or this week game that i've been thinking about playing for a while a uh konami classic monster in my pocket for the nes oh where uh where nintendo stole the idea for pocket monsters i remember pocket monsters being a big thing at the time i'm Uh, just kidding no i'm serious like i know that it's kind of like a confusing title uh because Mm. oh no 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 maybe monster in my pocket was its own brand that's what i'm thinking of and i know you're confusing me with pokemon so well, that's what Pokemon is. I know, right? I know, I know. Pokemon, yeah. Sorry. I'm, I'm, but that game has uh, really great music, and it's a very interesting action platformer, like a side-scroller. Um, I just haven't played uh, a ton of it, but the first couple stages were really, really cool, and I'm looking forward to uh, playing some more of that. Greg, what do you have? Um, well, I mean, with me, uh, discovering 16-bit games um, 
that I didn't really know about before it has everything to do with um, my series Generation 16 um, because I haven't I end up, you know, spending time on games that I never really played before. Mm. And there's a couple lately and there's one really bizarre one that I have to bring up. But there's uh, in the latest episode, episode 15 was just released. And um, at the very end of that episode, I cover a game called Granada, which was from Wolf Team. It was published in the U.S. by Renovation. and Not the RPG Grandia. No, not the <laughs> RPG. Um, it's an overhead tank shooter. So it's, it's basically a twin-stick shooter, but of course this is back before we had twin-stick uh, controllers at home. So it's one of those things where it's like if you, press the a, if you hold the A button, you shoot the direction you're facing. If you hold the B button, you lock your turret in the direction you were shooting. And then the C button... Uh, fires your special weapon but it's a really solid really cool shooter that i i had i, I knew existed i never played it because it didn't really fall into sort of the realm of what i was interested in back in the day um but it's just an overhead tank shooter and the whole idea with most of the levels is they have to drive around destroy the enemy um spawn points and then that'll activate a boss hmm. and bosses will happen in a couple different ways like um in some levels the bosses use the entire level. It's a free roaming game, Mm -hmm. the entire level as the boss stage. So you're actually dealing with like this huge area that you're fighting these gigantic bosses in. But then also you get situations like, um, there's this really cool boss that I call out in the show where you're, you're on this little strip of land at the bottom of the screen. And it's, it's this group of enemies that are shielded from your blaster but the walls actually reflect your fire. So you actually have to ricochet your bullets at different angles in order to get them in behind the boss you're fighting. Um, it's just a really neat, it's a really solid, really neat little shooter. And it, I found it was so funny because in the previous episode, episode 14, um, I covered their first game, Wolf Team's first game on the system, which I can't even remember the name of right now. And uh, I talked about how Wolf Team's games in general weren't always all that great. And then, of course, the second game they released on the system ended up being really good. Hmm. One game that I had played a lot of before and I had absolute complete disdain for is Alex Kidd and the Enchanted Castle. Yeah, it gives bad. It is a terrible game. Um, so this, for anybody who doesn't know, go look up Alex Kidd. Alex Kidd was Sega's Mario. And it's, you look at that and then it's not, it's no, there's no question why they it didn't do as well. 89 attempts, right? It came in 1990 yeah. well, or 89? no. This game came in 19, the very beginning of 1990, but this was a sequel. I mean, there, there were, was a Master System version yes. too, right? Okay, okay. Yeah. So anyway, he's this little kid that runs around and punches and, and you know, it's a platformer. But you're on a planet where um, battles and boss battles in particular are fought by playing paper, rock, scissors. And of course, you don't necessarily see, you can't see generally what your opponent's doing. So if you screw up once, you die. You pick the wrong one, you die. It's a really, really stupid uh, de- design choice. But I've been running a series called Generation 16 Live where I've been playing these games and, and streaming them on Twitch. And I actually played Alex Kidd a couple weeks ago. And I got further than I ever had. It's like, okay, well, I'm glad I got that over with. And I the whole time I was bitching about that game. Hmm. But then I like to post the archives of those games on my YouTube channel. And the, the recording screwed up. So the following week I played it again. I got so into it, I finished it. I finished Alex Kidd in the Enchanted Castle. Um, and it took a couple hours because it was really, really difficult. But Gross. I don't hate that game anymore. Uh, how about this might be up your uh, 
in your wheelhouse. Wonder Boy and Monster World is a game that I picked up uh, just like randomly at a retro game, like mm-hmm. a thrift shop. And I just saw the, like, I, it looked familiar. I remember Wonder Boy on something. It was probably a Retronauts podcast that they talked about the game, but mm-hmm. um, I picked that up. And that is a game that I need to play some more of. It's like a weird side scrolling RPG uh, with like a health system, kind of like Zelda cool boss battles, at least what I got to. There's a save, like, battery save. <laughs> on it. Um, mm-hmm. So that, I don't know if you played much of that, but that... Those were great games, yeah. although they have a great history, too, a really interesting history you should look up sometime because Wonder Boy started life basically as Adventure Island. Yeah, exactly. It's the exact same game. Yeah, and I know there's uh, arcade games, uh, Wonder mm-hmm. Boy arcade games that were actually brought over to the States two years ago on, like, PSN and Xbox Live Arcade. Um, that you can check out, but yeah. uh, but that that evolved into a really great series of games on the Genesis. Yeah, so it's, it's totally worth playing. Wonder Boy and Monster World is actually Wonder Boy Five. Yeah, Monster World Three. Three. <laughs> Jeez. And there are different games on the Master System too, I believe. Like different games that are the same type. Um, and then also there was Wonder Boy F- Monster World Four that came out in Japan and never came here until recently on um, on Virtual Console or not virtual console, PSN or something translated. Weird. Um, yeah. You should watch Generation 16. Well, I'll cover all that stuff eventually. I actually do because I pay the five bucks for the episode, so I make do, sure I get I my, my money's worth. Um, <laughs> let's maybe the last one is like the Sparkster uh, series. Oh, yeah. On, uh, I mean, they're on Genesis and. Uh, Super Nintendo, the Rocket Knight adventure games, which I have, um, which are, they're fun games. They just don't click with me. Like they're just missing a little something like they're a really good B tier, like a B plus Konami game. Um, that for some reason I just, the music's awesome. It just does not click with me. So I never mm-hmm. have really sat down and played too much of them. I was never crazy about Sparkster, but, uh, Rocket Knight was fantastic. Sparkster is a sequel. Yeah, um, and also Steel Empire. Those, the, that game is kick-ass. I still haven't really Genesis. played that. Oh, my God. Like, I mentioned multiple times, and uh, I know they gave me a free code for it, but when that game hits $15 on the eShop, buy that uh, that remade version. It kicks ass. That's what I'm waiting for. Oh, I'm waiting man, for it's so good. Well, Nintendo's been doing better with sales, and they even have a cross-buy thing coming up. So, I mean, with Ollie Ollie, they're doing cross-buy. So, hey, it's about that time. It's been about five years since PlayStation started doing cross-buy. So that means Nintendo needs to start <laughs> implementing this stuff. Um, as much as I love my new 3DS, you like your new 3DS? I love it. I yeah. love the camera tracking 3D. It's like night and day difference. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, to be honest, I didn't listen to the very last uh player one podcast i don't know are you guys getting through like majora's mask and stuff i'm slowly getting through it because i've actually been playing a lot of rogue legacy as well so that's taking up most of my time uh, a couple things that i wanted to mention and uh this is a good show for them um if anyone had uh was looking for it still apparently uh watermelon has finally got their reprints of uh pure solar the genesis version um so if you're that's that uh, fan-made rpg hmm. so i'm really excited about that because i pre-ordered the reprint like two years ago oh my god yeah and your phone's ringing again just keep going i'm gonna i'm gonna <laughs> mute myself um the other thing that i 
the other thing is that they're actually selling another game called uh, Sacred Line, which is, I think, like a visual novel um, that you actually use a die to play. I think. I don't know. I ordered it. I don't even know what it's really like, but I'm going to check it out. Um, and finally, I'm not sure if Kevin's back yet. Oh, I am but, totally um, back. I, you got, are. I got butt dialed. Some really cool, some a really cool development that I wanted to throw out there real quick. Anybody who followed uh, the Saturn, you you say you did, Kevin. Totally. Remember Sonic Extreme? Oh yeah, I did hear about this. Yeah, the Sonic game that never came out. Well, somebody has taken the PC code and recompiled it to run on modern consoles. You can actually play a build of Sonic Extreme now on a Windows PC. Oh no way! So you can't. Um I remember this being a big thing with maybe it was Frank Cifaldi who, again, talking about Retronauts about game preservation, about the guy mm-hmm. who actually had the copy of Sonic Extreme was asking for like an ungodly sum of money. So I guess uh, it's. Oh, great. really? I don't know if it's the same. Yeah, I don't know if it's the same group because this is actually. Um, this was a build. Somebody came into possession of the code. It wasn't necessarily like a, a copy of it or anything, um, which, of course. It runs on a PC because a lot of game, a lot of console games when they're in development do run on PCs. Uh, and he actually, I forget the guy's name, but he actually recompiled it to run on PC, modern PCs, which is very oh, cool. It? It's terrible. Um, hmm. I'm not sure. Did you ever play the game Bug? Uh, I know what you're talking about. It feels a lot like that. Gross. Um, it doesn't look exactly like it's going to look on a Saturn because they don't have it rendering properly. And of course, like a, it's rendering like way higher resolution. Super Mario 64 3D platformer. Kind of, yeah. Um, but it's still really cool that uh, they've even made this available. So it's actually somebody who goes by the, the hacker alias of Jolly Roger. Um, I think it was two years ago they started this project. And he finally released the first of apparently multiple levels he's going to release. The game was never finished. It doesn't play like it's in a finished state. It's not a game. It's hmm. it's a build. It's a demo. Um, not even a demo, really. But it's kind of neat because now you're getting, you know, you have the chance to actually go and play what everyone was talking about. Mm-hmm. And kind of, you know, would that have saved the Saturn? Who knows? But uh, But it's cool that it's out there now. So I yeah. just want to throw it out. That that stuff is always great to see it finally not only get out there, but just know that there's something left of the work that was done. Absolutely. For 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 games like that. Um I, I will mention uh, again before we wrap up, if you if you are interested in getting uh Georgia back on the show, which is which is really great. I'm I'm trying to get um some more women on the show. Uh Hit her up at, at Georgia underscore Dow and say, uh, first off, make sure that you watch Flight of the Navigator. I'm trying to get her to watch that. And also uh, that you would like to have her come back on to talk about some uh, Metroids. She, she seemed to be very, um, you know, up for up for doing that. So that would be really cool. And I will I'll mention it again because I really enjoy I like Player One podcast, but also the, the podcast that they're doing. Uh, Isometric has been really really good uh on the five by five network so make sure you uh check that out and i think in case steve is listening i think i pronounced his last name incorrectly on that last episode i think it's lubitz so i apologize steve if i uh did that so that is uh i think that is going to be it for this episode i'm actually wearing my next gen back in my play t-shirt that came out uh, with my Sega Saturn, my Sony PlayStation, my Nintendo 64 across my chest. Hopefully I'll be wearing that as I go to PAX East. So make sure you come up and say hi 
if you see me, uh, come to the panel. If you're going to be there on Saturday, I will be giving away some games on that panel. So there will be some chances for you to win prizes if you show up to that panel. Expensive, rare retro games that I'm saving to give away on that panel. Big stuff. Nice. Um, also, don't forget that you can follow Greg on Twitter at, at S-E-W-A-R-T. I am at K-E-V-I-N-L-A-R-R-A-B-E. And then at Back of My Play for the podcast. Make sure you're following those just because there's always great chances for you to give feedback on the show and also give your impressions of the upcoming game that we're going to be talking about. I would like to do some more of that feedback type stuff in the future, and I can't do it unless you guys participate. So uh, please do so. And I want to try to make sure that I do not do heavy exercise that causes my mouth to be dry for the next recording <laughs> of the show, because that is literally what happened last week too. I was tired and I, my mouth was dry and I couldn't pronounce words and I couldn't think. So you guys deserve better for this free podcast. If you want to make it even better, go to patreon.com slash back in my play. You can help support the show on there starting at just a dollar. I think we have like 22 people supporting the show, which is dope. Um, be cool to get that up to 30. Let's try to do that for next episode. If you enjoy the show, I'd appreciate it if you did that. Also, uh, help out Generation 16 at uh, patreon.com slash generation 16. And that's generation 16. Yep. Uh, and also, the Player One podcast has a Patreon too. You can help all of us out, help us make sure we can pay our bandwidth fees and help you know, make sure we can set aside the time to record these things because it does... And this is two hours of recording and then another hour of editing and then uploading and RSS feeds, all that stuff. It takes time. So when I know that I'm going to get like 50 bucks for an episode or more, it kicks myself in the butt a little bit to, <laughs> to make sure I get that episode up. So uh, that is going to be it. Greg, do you have any other stuff that's coming up? Of course, you guys, uh, the day that this comes out, you guys are going to be recording another episode of uh, Player One Podcast talking about new games. Yes, talking about new games and I believe uh, the long-awaited return of Mike Phillips. Um, so, nice. yes, there's that. Uh, that's going to be exciting, although we are not going to have CJ this week. So I'm going to be hosting this week, <laughs> which means anything can happen. Um, it's going to be and, crazy. <laughs> and like I mentioned before, uh, Generation 16, episode 15 was just uh, made really uh, public to the what am I trying to say? It was released to the public. Received wide release. There you go. Um, the patrons uh, got to see it first. Um, please go check it out. Check out the series if you like old video games, which if you if you don't, why are you listening to the show? You know, um, some, so I, yeah. I actually have lots of people that listen to the FitCast that just listen to this show because they <laughs> listen to the FitCast, which if you're one of those people, you kick ass. <laughs> uh, there's so many fitness people that I, I was at uh, – the show's over. This is just me rambling, but okay. uh, this is like uh, I forget what it was in I guess Long Beach that I was at a, a seminar and people came up to me and like said how much they love my retro gaming podcast. Like literally four people out of like maybe at these summer seminars like these summits I usually have like maybe thirty people that come up and say oh man I really like the podcast and stuff like that. Um, but I actually had like maybe a good ten percent that also listened to back in my play. That's wild. Like nine months ago. So thank you if you're one of those super hardcore people that can tolerate listening to me on multiple podcasts. 
Um, yeah, so that's that's it. Uh, hopefully, maybe I'll be back next week with some stuff from PAX. But other than that, like I said, uh, let me know what you want to hear on the show. I do have a copy, a fresh copy uh, from Sean, a fresh copy of Gunstar Heroes. I'm looking at right now, like a fresh mint copy. Damn, son. Uh, he also hooked me up with a copy of uh, Batman for the Mega Drive. Japanese That's a great version. Game. Um, which I have to, I think I need a, uh, I'm going to need a Game Genie or something like that to play it. You uh, And hey, you know what? Go check out Generation 16 to understand the importance of that game. Well, I want to just play it first. So I have fresh, I want to go in fresh. Uh-huh. And then I'll watch Generation 16. And then maybe, maybe you can be on it or something. Is it, is it really, is it a lot, is it just like a better version of the NES game? Nope. It's, it's different a different stuff? game. It's an entirely different game. Even the first stage, I thought I looked at the back <laughs> of the box and it looked the same. No. Weird. All right. Well, I'm going to take a look at that at some point. But yeah, this is just me rambling. The show already ended. Uh, this is crappy extra stuff that probably should be edited out, but I won't. So <laughs> here's some more music. And I'm going to just put some cool music in it. I don't know if it will be from Mega Turrican or not, just because I don't know what the next episode is. Have a great rest of the week. If you're coming to PAX, let me know and keep an eye out for more podcasts later. Later.